All right. So the name of the podcast is Application to Admission. I want it to be HBC versus PWIs, but you know, you think that's a little bit too too aggressive. And I, you know, I don't want to be aggressive. I want to make sure that I I treat your your your, your brother, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. right. You know, I don't come off too too militant. Even though Martin was a real militant man, he has some he has some really positive stances on a lot of things that people you know, have diluted his message through this holiday and all that, but that's a whole nother uh, episode. Here we go again, guys, the Application to Admission podcast. I am here with my co-host because we are going to interview a very, very special person today. Tim, are you excited about our interview today? Yes, yes, I'm very, very excited. I mean, I can't wait to get into this conversation. I think this will be episode about 30 and the 20 nine other people have been great but this might be the best i'm just the gonna best say this, 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 this this might be the best and, oh. and at the end i think everybody will appreciate um everything that will be shared and you may or may not agree with me i know we got some loyal followers who have followed <laughs> from episode one um and we thank you for subscribing for listening for sharing uh, we appreciate you being here, but you know today's conversation is going to be a very important one, especially given uh, we're about to begin another academic year and college admission cycle. Yeah, no, no, the, 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 this this one means a lot. And again, I know it's hard for you, Tim, to not to share your uh, your your Texas bias here, but again, uh, we are thrilled to have Dr. Bianca Bush with us today. Um, Better one, otherwise known as the college psychiatrist. Uh, she's a board certified adult and board eligible child and adolescent psychiatrist who really specializes in supporting students in multiple ways on their path to healing and self-discovery. So again, Dr. Bush, we're going to make sure we pepper you with all the questions for, right. you know, adolescents and, and college students about mental right. health about things that parents need to do, because ultimately one of the things about your mission that I appreciate so much is that you've helped college students to cope, to heal, and to thrive. And again, as a parent, as an educator, um, that's all we're all in it for, but you have the expertise that I don't. So thank you for joining us. Well, so glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. All right. So Tim, um, without giving people too much, I know that you have a a special interest in mental health, given some of your undergraduate studies, and it was your connection that that found uh, Dr. Bush. So I'm gonna let you lead. People tired of hearing me talk. <laughs> I mean, they, they yes, we are, but we, oh. but you you have such great information. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm just you know one excited. You know, my undergraduate degree is in psychology, and I had aspirations. Uh, you know, to become a psychiatrist like mm -hmm. yourself. And so that was a goal. I said, oh, yeah, I want people to tell me their problems and yeah. you know, they'll pay me a lot of money and this is what I'll do. And then I took bio 101. It didn't work out. So 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 I had to kind of <laughs> shift. Uh, but, you know, I you know ended up getting the degree and, you know, found my way in education. And, you know, obviously the past 25 years, I think everybody kind of finds their passion and things work out as they're supposed to. But before we get into the actual work you do, I, I think you, I was uh, reading your bio, and you have a very interesting story and how you ended up in this work. So if you could share a little bit about your path, you know, sure. to getting into, you know, psychiatry and, and, and kind of just the, the, the some, some hurdles and challenges yeah. that you had along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I am, um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
you know, who's from there? Not many people, um, but born in Colorado, grew up in New Mexico. And I went to college. I heard about the University of Chicago. Um, my pastor growing up was like, you have to, he's from Chicago. So you got to check out the school. So um, I did, fell in love. And that's where I went to college. Um, and my major was human development. Now I, like you, Tim, started out, it did the sciences. They kicked my butt. I did them. Um, but it was really, really hard. And so I did not do very well. Um, my GPA was not great, um, but I did finish, did graduate um, with that major. And I took seven years before medical school um, where I retook a lot of my science classes. I worked in medicine and in public health before I applied. So apply, I got in, um, went to my, really my home state, which is Colorado for medical school. And I had a love for the social sciences. I love to hear people's stories. I love to talk. Um, and so really psychiatry was a great marriage of my passion for the biological sciences and chemistry. You know, I have to think about how the body's working, what medicines am I prescribing? But I have the luxury of just listening to people. I have the time um, and it is a gift. I thought I would do pediatrics going into medical school because I'd worked in pediatrics before coming in. I worked for the WIC program, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, and then I worked in pediatrics at Boston Medical Center. So I thought I'd do pediatrics, but I got there and it, it wasn't what I thought it was gonna be, but I fell in love with psychiatry. Um, and so I married the two by pursuing child and adolescent psychiatry. So I did three years of adult psychiatry training followed by two years of child and adolescent psychiatry training. And so, you know, in my work with college students, this really makes me uniquely poised to work with uh, young adults and their families because I'm used to working with parents and I have a developmental lens, which really helps me think about these young people as they're leaving their homes going to college and really becoming adults. Thank you. And I just, I think one of the things I just want to focus on for a second is this idea that from the time you graduated from the University of Chicago to the time you went to medical school was seven years in between that. Yes. Yes. And so, I mean, there's a lot of students, you know, especially those who are in their senior year of high school going through this process and say, I want to be a doctor. They'll go through school four years for whatever reason, they may not get into medical school that first time. I mean, so, so, you know, what are some things you can, you know, share with students who, you know, might be, you know, a senior or a parent of a senior in college who yeah. did not get into medical school, didn't do well on the MCAT or any number of things that would say, you know, you don't have to give up on this dream. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I took the MCAT three times before I actually nailed it. So these are things that, you know, I don't always talk about, right? Because in my, my therapy sessions, it's really all about the patient or my work is all about the patient. But I struggled. I really, really struggled. And that's why I'm passionate about this work. So I had undiagnosed learning differences, ADHD, difficulty with processing that I didn't learn about until medical school um, when I got neuropsych testing. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this because I think people could be having a different journey when they're in college if we really have a holistic assessment. So what what I would say is, I would say, don't give up on your dreams, right? Like I definitely had pre-health advisors, even some of our skin folk, believe it or not, who said, no, this isn't for you. Do something else. Uh, just do public health. Like medical school is not for you. But the thing that really preserved me was my family and my church family, honestly, calling me Dr. Pullen. That's my maiden name. Um, that really pulled me along. So I would say, listen to the voices that are encouraging you. And 
there are so many um, different ways to be an attractive applicant. As you guys know, getting people into college, right? It's the same for medical school. And so sure, my GPA wasn't the top, my MCAT score wasn't the top, but I had a lot of interesting experience. I went and met people. I met deans of admission um, at the medical schools at the AMC. So we could talk about that. I won't get too into that, but there are a lot of things that you can do. And so I would say, if you feel like this is something you really, really want to do, stick with it. I have no regrets. Mm. Was I older than most of my classmates in medical school? Yeah, I was like one of the oldest people, whatever, doesn't matter. No one would really know, right? So um, it may take a little bit of time, but I would say just stick with it. Find someone who's going to encourage you and who's going to help you think about what path you can take to get there. Again, I love how you've made this the marry, like you said, your, your passions for what you thought you would do and then what you were curious about doing college. And similarly, what you're saying about, you know, your spiritual growth in, in tandem with your educational growth and your particularly professional growth. I'm going to go there right? Sometimes when you say that you had undiagnosed learning differences, sometimes Black people, skin folk, we're real talk, we say, let's pray it away. And we don't address psychiatry and mental health the way others might. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because that's been, again, I'm I'm not saying something that that hasn't been heard before, but what's been your experience with that? And what are some of the tips or things that you would say to people who are listening who may be Black and may not believe that mental health is a real thing that they need to invest in to, to hopefully help themselves and or help their children? Gosh, that's 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 so tricky. And, and it really, you know, it depends on where people are worshiping and who their leaders are, I, you know, what messages they're getting. I think there are a lot of clergy persons who are starting to engage in the dialogue of mental health a lot more and even provide the resources for parishioners, but some aren't, you know, it still can be, well, the doctor's report is X, which is, you know, what I feel is wonderful to activate your faith, but I also believe that, um, you know, the higher power God, whoever it is that you're praying to did allow for science to come to be for us to make some discoveries. So I think it can be important to marry both, to find, to to bring both together, right? Um, Maybe we're not relying solely on the psychiatry or therapy. Maybe we're also activating our faith in whatever regard that is. I think we can, we can do both. And so um, it, it takes a lot of conversation and it can take it can take some convincing, but I just, it's, it's sort of what we know in the science, there can be some solutions and, and, and not, I wouldn't say quick solutions, but some, some really good solutions for what people are going through in their mental health um, that don't always include medications that are outside of prayer and a healing service. So I always think about them together. You know, when people are coming to me, I want to know what their experience is. I want to know, well, what does it mean that you have this thing? Does it mean that, is this like a curse that you feel like your family is under, you know? Uh, so I, I really try to, to be respectful of both. Um, and I would encourage people to, to think about that too. And if you can think about it this way, like, like I said, is a higher power of God. Somebody gave the doctors this knowledge and this science, like it's coming from somewhere. And so that's a way that I found um, the conversation can be productive is when we when we frame it that way, right? Um, that 
these people might be messengers or workers um, that God or higher power is using to help in your healing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so just kind of, we are about to start another admission cycle at the beginning of another academic year. So for our parents that are listening, educators, students, you know, what are some of the best ways that they can support a good mental health in this process as students are thinking about, you know, you know, the application process, leaving way, leaving to go away from home and parents are dealing with the like, what is it going to be like having my child leave away from home? What are some of the things that families can do to, you know, best support a good mental health as mm -hmm. uh, each, each goes through this process? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I'm going to think about sort of in the application process. Um, I'm just taking a note so I don't forget what I was thinking of. So, you know, in the application process, I would say to definitely try to listen to your student about what they want, where they want to go. It's a family conversation, obviously, um, and parents, you know, have the, the bigger financial responsibility. But really, um, this is a really important exercise in encouraging uh, development into adulthood and independence. And so if you're not already really thinking about transitioning the relationship with your adolescent, your late adolescent to, um, you know, more of a, a directive, less of a directive and more of a, we're going to be thinking about making this decision together. Because what that does, that really sets up your young person in a way for them to feel confident in the decisions that they're going to be making thereafter, right? They're going to school, whether they're leaving home or staying at home, they're going to have to start making decisions on their own. And so this is a wonderful opportunity to start that process to say, OK, what do you think? I think you're good. You know, that sounds like a great idea. Or tell me why you're thinking that. If you think it's a bad idea, you can say instead of I think that's a terrible idea. You can say, tell me why you're thinking that. Um, so listen, and I would say that um, another thing that sometimes I see a, a common complaint that I hear when students are presenting with depression or anxiety is that they're lazy. And I could see this happening in the application process where it's like, okay, we told you to get this essay done. How come you haven't done it, right? Or other things. And so I would say, you know, if you see that something isn't happening, like there's a lack of movement, consider that there might be a deeper cause than just like general malaise or, you know, or laziness, right? There could be a mental health thing underlying it. There could be some ambivalence about making the decision. So that's just something I would say, consider why there's a lack of movement, like think, like, think about it, ask questions. Um, and then I would say for during the application process, this is about managing anxiety for the student and for the parents, try to reserve some specific times to talk about the application and the application process. So that it's not dominating the conversation every night at dinner and when you wake up in the morning. And when you're picking up from school and the sports, right? Maybe we're gonna talk about application stuff on Thursday nights after dinner or whatever it is. Cause these can be really stressful conversations. And if you're having them over and over and sort of continuously that's just a setup for anxiety for the whole family. And so this is a strategy that I talk about not only for things like application process but when I have college students it's okay, you know parents are thinking about well what internship are you gonna do? and uh, what, what job are you going to have for the summer or that kind of thing? And that can really just increase the anxiety of the student. Um, and then the other thing that I thought about is um, as you're thinking about where your student is going to school, 
and this goes into once they get there, don't think that the needs that they have are going to magically disappear. If your student needed to work with the student counselor in high school, they may need to work with someone in college. And so, you know, a lot of the times it feels like college, oh, it's a, it's a fresh start. And it is in a lot of ways, but the things that have happened before will likely rear, rear their heads again. And so I would say not only for mental health things, but also for learning differences and learning needs. And so if your child, your student has an IEP or a 504, um, those, those things don't automatically roll over, uh, right? And so you have to apply for them. And, um, you know, the accommodations in college are different, but they are available. And so um, those are the things that I'm thinking of. A lot of stuff, but some of the things I'm thinking of. No, that's great. And again, I think, you know, one of the, the things that Tim and I are confronted with a lot, with whether it's in person when we're speaking, uh, Q&As when we about our book, you know, virtual or in person, um, what do you think the root of the anxiety around the college admissions process is? Is it separation anxiety that students have? Is it the quote unquote prestige of wanting to, to get the approval of their parents or approval of themselves from, from you know, exterior things? I mean, we've been, you know, banging uh, the drum of redefine success, redefine success, because yes. we are trying, trying, and sometimes in vain to help families understand that we all know people from different walks of life who took different paths to become quote unquote successful, however you define that. But kids are still 17, 18 years old. They don't have the wherewithal to kind of articulate that or, you know, redefine success sounds like, you know, kumbaya to them from adults. Where do you think the, 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 the root of a college applicant, a student, what is the root of the anxiety and how can parents help them to press the pause button so it doesn't kind of spiral out of control? That's a good question. I mean, it's multifactorial as you have identified, right? Like it could be coming from within. A lot of students that are high achieving, their parents will say, it's fine if you want to go to X school, but they have to say, no, I have, they may be saying to themselves, no, I have to go to an Ivy or I have to go to, you know, so it could be coming from within. Certainly if it's coming from without, that is a place that from parents, that's a place that is intervenable, right? To, as you guys say, redefine what success is, right? That people can be coming from all different schools and have great success. I was also thinking about you know, just the general conversations that people are having on Facebook about what schools are good, what schools are not good, it's going to come back to me. But, but are those conversations helpful, right? Like, like you said, via social media, kids are seeing each other, you know, pop open acceptance letters, but then right. when you don't hear from a kid, you, you crickets, right? No, nobody says nothing when they don't get in. Or parents all having these Facebook group chats about, you know, that college was a college confidential I mean, those things only ratchet up the anxiety. And I've told my clients for years, stay off that thing. Not because yes. it's not a good resource, but yes. you're not going to find information there that's going to no. help you. No, abs absolutely not. Um, and I think that's great advice to stay off of those channels um, because it's just going to be a lot of comparison. And even sometimes people not telling all the, the truth. truth. Right. And that's the other thing to consider as well, right? So um yeah, there was something I thought about. It'll come back to me about will, where anxiety will. is coming from, but it's coming from a lot of different places outside schools, certainly. Um, you know, I have seen some helpful things where students don't know their rank um, amongst other students, and I think that could be really helpful. I don't know that not all schools do that, um, but they're 
a student that I work with, her school, they actually don't have their rankings. So that's a place that can reduce, um, you can think about reducing anxiety, but if students are having that, if they're feeling like, okay, I'm not in the top 10, that causes anxiety because it's like, well, I'm not gonna get into this prestigious school because I'm not in the top 10 and all these kinds of things. So when I remember what I was thinking about. <laughs> Look, so, so much on the mind of the college yeah. psychiatrist, so much on the mind of the college <laughs> psychiatrist. Tim, I see you burning with a question, my bad, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just, you know, kind of along those lines, you know, I just, how do we normalize, you know, this idea that mental health should be a priority, uh, especially within the Black community, as we alluded to earlier, there are so many that feel like, you know, there's a, it's a sign of weakness, why, why would we go and seek out, you know, a psychiatrist and things of that nature, but how can we normalize this in, you know, our, uh, in our community? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I think about it, you know, as personal growth. I think there are a number of narratives that we can really capitalize on, right? We can capitalize on breaking generational curses. Um, that is something that can really happen in the process of paying attention to our mental health. Um, I think we can think about it as like growth and thinking about building generational generational wealth, we can even tie it into that, right? Because if you can um, be calm in your mind, if you can um, have good mental health when you're in college, you're going to probably do better and then make better decisions or have more opportunities for whatever steps are coming for you next. So I think we can really um, build it into conversations that are already happening, right? Like everyone wants, we want to rise. We want to see our people succeed, right? And so how are we going to do that? Um, well, we, we need to be well. I think another thing that we can really do is think about, um, try to stop separating mental health from physical health, right? Like if we have high blood pressure, we know we have to take our high blood pressure medication, right? And so mental health challenges are no different from having high blood pressure. If you have depression, you have to take the medication for depression. If you have anxiety, you got to take the medication for anxiety. And we can think about that as the pill, or pills for anxiety or depression, or we can think about it as all of the other interventions that need to happen um, to be helpful with depression and anxiety. So I think another thing that can be helpful in, in normalizing the importance of mental health is thinking about it in a less westernized way, right? Um, and that's, you know, here I am a psychiatrist, right? Really doing the medicines and therapy stuff. But mental health is much more than that. It's good nutrition, it's moving your body. I mean, that those are some of the first recommendations that I make when I see someone and things that I'm checking for. Okay, well, what are you eating? How much are you sleeping? Uh, are you moving your body in any kind of way? And that can be dance. You know, our community, we like to skate. We like to go roller skating rings. That is important. So um, I think really changing what, what is mental health and then thinking about putting it into the things that are already propelling us forward, the conversations that are already preparing, propelling us forward. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention. And, no, no, I was, I was just going to jump in there and just say that's a, a really good point because uh, I ran track and cross country in college and all throughout then every day, I was a long distance runner. Uh, I would run, you know, you know, five, 10 miles and it was just constantly there. And then when I finished and went on to graduate school, I said, oh, I was done running, I had enough running. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, felt, I felt like a 
like I was in a funk all the time and I and I couldn't figure out why and then I realized that running was more did more for me mentally yes. than it did physically and yes. you know to this day you know I have to make sure just this morning I took a run you know my thoughts are a lot clear when I run mm -hmm. and yes obviously to your point there's a the physical benefit of running but it's much more the mental uh mm -hmm. benefit and you know I'm just going to age myself back then you didn't have iPods, so if you didn't want to carry a, a discman for uh, six miles, it was just that you in the environment. And so, yes, I, yeah, hey, that, I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying, and you could only have one CD. So, you know, what I'm saying, if you was if you was running more than sixty minutes, it better be a good one. But I'm sorry, sorry, you were gonna you were gonna make another point. Well, I was just gonna say that you know another thing that will help us normalize the importance of it is to I think really talk about it. You know, mental health troubles are all up and through our family, but we are not talking about them. And I think one of the the ways that we see people treating their own mental health conditions is with substances. Now you know, cousin Johnny is always drunk at the family reunion, right? Um, but nobody's really talking about that a whole lot. It's just like, okay, you know. Leave but... Cousin Johnny alone. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we... Let's make sure. Let's make sure he's that, safe. See, that, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. Y'all, somebody need to talk about Cousin Johnny. Somebody need to Get talk about it. But. He's but, been through a lot. He's been through a lot. It's like, he's got back from, from Afghanistan. Leave Johnny yes, Johnny alone. He has been through a lot. And that's called PTSD, right? And so, you know, he's had trauma and he might be treating these traumas with alcohol. You know, he might have a lot of anxiety and can't be around a whole lot of people. But when he he gets in his brown bag, he gets something in his brown bag, he can be cool. He's the life of the party. So, you know, it's really thinking about these things and talking about them because, you know, the saddest thing to me is to see a student who has this in their family, they get to college, they start self-treating with alcohol because it's available, right? You're no longer at home. It's not a controlled environment and it's everywhere. Alcohol, Coke, marijuana, whatever you want is there. And, and then it starts impacting their academic performance. And I, then I talk to parents, I'm like, isn't their family? Yeah, well, you know, my so-and-so had this, but it's not something we really talked about. And so I would say really, really try and have those conversations. They're hard, they are hard, but they'll really be beneficial to your young person. Something that, that, that I'm fascinated by, you know, your profile is that again, while Tim and I focus on college admissions and, you know, getting into college and the, the, the some of the nerve wracking, anxiety ridden depression that can revolve around just getting in, you work with students when they're in college. And again, that transition, leaving home, um, not having a routine, Tim, thank you for sharing about your running, affects mental health. What are some of the most common things that you see in college students? Again, you know, haha, I got in, I'm, I'm, I'm straight now, I'm going to college, I'm doing everything mom and dad said. Mm -hmm. But now you're there. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you've seen in young adult college students that you would want people to be aware of, particularly, again, as we're going back to school now, and that's mm -hmm. not just high schoolers, but, you know, college students are going back too. what are, as parents do we need to be aware of for our children who are in college and, and uh, need support more than they think they do? Well, I would say um, things to be aware of that things that had previously been under control can sort of get out of control because you're just not going to have the same routine. And that's part of college, right? You're staying up late, whether it's studying or partying, whatever it is, 
you're just out of your normal routine. And so um, good sleep hygiene and that kind of thing can really help manage depression. It can also help with anxiety. If people have a bipolar disorder, sleep can be really important. So when that sleep cycle is disrupted, you're more um, likely to have a manic episode or a depressive episode. And eating disorders really also can reemerge when students come to, to college, right? There's no one there who's really looking at what they're eating, preparing foods for them, um, I, you know, have students who might feel anxious eating in front of other students in the dining hall. So then they just don't eat. And then, you know, you know, it's not like mom is doing the grocery shopping and just bringing snacks home. They're having to figure out, well, what food do I even eat? So these things can reemerge. So that's something um, to be looking out for. And so the things that I think about doing to, to help with that is really Knowing what resources are available on campus, sort of getting familiar with um, student counseling, you can do a web search even before you get there to see, you know, do they have therapists, do they have psychiatrists, how long can they do treatment for, and if they don't have the services that you need, really trying to find those in the community. Um, and so that can be kind of difficult, um, but something that, you know, I'm always happy to help with, but there is a way. So just thinking about that. Um, and then other things that I think are important, you asked, what do I see? Another thing that I see is students getting to college and sort of not knowing how to manage their time and what to do with their time, right? You're coming from high school where they have all these activities because mom and dad sort of have them scheduled out. They go to class, they have practice, they have this, they have that. But then they get to college and they're really responsible for doing their own extracurriculars. And sometimes it's hard for them to get involved in anything. And so then they're going to class and then just going back to their dorm and not really doing much. Um, and so that is something that I think is so important for mental health sake. You know, certainly don't need to be packed out with a whole bunch of activities, but to be doing something, um, a club sport, trying something new, uh, the D&D &D club, uh, I mean, anything that is, is non-academic because when students hit these academic challenges, I find that having some other sort of social type of thing can be really preserving. You get your first C, that can be devastating. Some people get your first B, that can be devastating. But if you have some other area where you're feeling accomplished and you're feeling like you're valued by other people, that can really preserve you through those, those tough times. You just said D and D. I, I, think, I think it's Harry Potter's Quidditch now. I think the Quidditch. That's oh, Trump D and D and pickleball is fast. It's taking everybody's spot. True, 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 true. All right, all right. so D and D, you dated yourself a little bit there, but you know, I digress. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we definitely want to be respectful of your time. We thank you for you know all this great information uh, that you're you're sharing uh, surrounding the work you do. Um, and so, obviously, uh, we've highlighted you've worked with a lot of different students. Are there any schools out there that you find are very good at supporting students um, as they transition in, have great, you know, kind of counseling services for students? Are there any schools that have stood out that, you know, you found it, you know, easy to work with and that you find are, are very supportive of students? That's a good question. You know, I'm honestly still learning the landscape and I learn through the lens of my students and then I'm also meeting people. I find that Columbia has a large staff, like they are really robust in their staff. 
Um, I sit on a committee with someone from Harvard and the unique thing about them is that they are able to provide care throughout the four years. So you can see the same therapist for the whole time, which is not very common. Sometimes you will only be able to see a therapist for six to eight sessions, and then you'll get transitioned to the community. So that's kind of a standout. Um, here locally, I've been exploring TCU has actually um, won some awards there, number four um, in the nation for their student mental health programming. And it is phenomenal. They have a lot of things on campus and then they also have a lot of really great community partnerships to care for students. So those are some that, those are the ones that stick out. Um, I'll throw some out at you just cause I, you know, this is what yeah, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Syracuse University has a great okay. one. Um, University of Arizona has very, very strong student okay. support. Um, again, let's not forget about our HBCUs. I have a friend who sent her son to Morehouse, Tim's alma mater, who yes. thoroughly vetted um, their, their their student support. And one of my wife's best friends, my wife heard not one of the, just in case she's listening, the best friend, um, went to Howard and is also a psychiatrist who did her, her residency. Um, she went to Penn Medical School and then did uh, her residency at Emory as a psychiatrist. And has a book coming out, Unaddicted. Check it out in Zinga Harrison, Dr. Zinga Harrison. Oh, um, she's amazing. Yeah, she that 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 that's my homie. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but all that said, is that no, we we are actively going to make sure that uh, we on this podcast, part of our mission will be to not you know kind of bury the fact that young people, all people, go through mental health challenges. Yes. And for those who are not old enough to identify them and or admit to them, um, that's where they need their parents to lean on and. You know, there there are therapists, you know, psychologists, and I think psychiatrists, but psychologists who don't prescribe medication that can right. meet students online. Um, you know, there are sports. I, I've been in touch with with a, a sports psychologist. You know, That's I right. know I, I can refer people right there. So it's yep. really, really important that as the adults in these students' lives, that we um, help them to help themselves. We, we never went through a pandemic. We have no idea how to be at home for 18 months and be unsocialized or just be communicating with people via phone and social media. So again, I'm not trying to, you know, sound like the old man, get off my lawn, but I do want to make sure that we as adults help kids, help ourselves, but then help our students to um, uh, confront the mental health challenges that they may be having and give them the support that they need. Again, Dr. Bush, again, when, when, when Tim found you, I'm going to say I was jealous. Like, what a name, the college psychiatrist. Like, that, that's the trump card. Like, the, the, you, you, you know what I do. I work with so, college. So, 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 the care yeah, so, packages. No, no, no. Let her wait. No, no, wait, wait, she, we the care talk packages. About it. She's, she's got this care package bundle let thing. Let her talk like, about it. Let her talk <laughs> about it. Yes, Batman. Yes, Batman. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you know, one of the first things I thought about when I was starting a college psychiatrist is like one of the first things I said, wouldn't it be so cool if there was like a care package that was just for mental health that, you know, students, you know, parents could get for their students, easy peasy, just get it, one and done. And so I came up with the college psychiatrist coping kit. And so that's really based off of, um, you know, having the coping skills to deal with uh, stresses, anxieties, low moods, depressions, feeling sad. And so this is a great kit. It's available online, collegepsychiatrist.com. You can find it there. Um, it has 10 fantastic items. There's a cozy blanket. There's a self-warming eye mask. You've got, um, you've got some sort of face products, which is for everyone. This is a gender neutral thing. We've got this great set of colored pencils that it's got your regular colors of the rainbow. And then it's got another set that's got, has all of the different skin tones. Um, you get um, a free membership to a mental health app uh, for three months, which is really fantastic. That can sort of 
kickstart you on your mental health journey if you need it. Um, I also worked with an Etsy artist to create these really cool stickers um, that you can put on your water bottle, laptop, and they're just really kind of fun uh, about mental health. So check it out. Those are a few of the items, but there are more and you can find all of them on collegepsychiatrist.com. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, before we get out of here, obviously the care package is great, but, you know, can you just share a little bit about your practice, uh, sure. you know, what, how people can find you? Because you, obviously yeah. you are in Dallas-Fort Worth area, shout out to the Metroplex, but you are also licensed in other areas and have a team. So if you could share a little yeah. bit of information about that. Sure. So um, we provide psychiatry, which is uh, medication and therapy for students. Uh, we are serving California, Florida, Illinois, Massachusetts, Texas, and New York at present. I just got uh, a letter today. I'll be expanding to probably a total of 15 states, so stay tuned. Um, the goal is to be additionally in Oklahoma, Maryland, Virginia, DC, Connecticut, uh, Pennsylvania, and California. We're already there. Hey, hey, hey Shereen, what's that? Breaks over? Breaks over. She's taking over. The tape breaks over. Take over. Right, right. Last year was about branding. This year is about expanding. Love it. Love it. Butcher. Love it. So, but you can find us there on the website. Do a 15-minute consult. Listen, just come and talk to us. Not sure if, if we're what you need. That's fine. Just come. It's free. Talk to us. A lot of the times, um, you'll decide that you're going to work with us. Fantastic. We're happy to serve you. If you decide that it's not the right fit or you need to go somewhere else, we're happy to help you get to that place. Um, we're really just passionate about people getting into good care. So um, so yes, I have myself that's licensed in Illinois, Texas, Massachusetts, and New York. We also have Dr. Seth Robbins, who's licensed in New York and Florida. And then we have Dr. Adam Burns, who's licensed in California and New York. So our team will be ever expanding. Um, but again, if you have questions, I'm just passionate about this and, and happy to help anyone get in touch with us. No, this was great. I mean, again, again, you're intellectually uh, astute is an understatement, uh, compassionate. That's the word I'm going to leave with uh, today when I, when I talk to Dr. Uh, talk about Dr. Bianca Bush is I hear, I see the compassion that you have for your work. Um, and we as educators appreciate it we as, as as men as parents appreciate it um so thank you so much for not just for joining us but for for being who you are and doing the work that you do and whether you like it or not this is just the beginning of something special in our relationship we met one time before this we you <laughs> might become the homie <laughs> absolutely i'm excited i'm really excited about it so thank you again tim um you know as we always do we try to make sure the people uh, leave on a positive note. One, what you, what you got to say to the people, Tim? Well, you know, just first of all, thank you, Dr. Bush, for your time and your expertise. At the beginning, I said it was going to be special. I, you know, if you finishing this podcast and you didn't leave with a nugget that you can apply not only to your child, your family, or even if yourself for yourself, that's something we find uh, special. Um, please continue to support, subscribe, share the podcast with anybody you know. Uh, we are thankful for all of you who continue to rock with us because our primary mission is we just want to kind of share information about the college admission process. It's layered, it's complicated. There are lots of things out there, but we just want to give you the best information possible. And if this isn't enough, we have a book, Shereen. What's the name of our book? The Black Families Guide to College Admissions, a conversation about education, parenting, and race. And if uh, they don't have it, Shereen? 
Oh, they don't have it. They need to go understandthechoices.com. Understandingthechoices.com and get it or I'm coming to get you. No, uh, all, all joking aside, we are here because we believe in y'all. We want to make sure that people are getting good information. Um, oh yeah, you're right, Tim. This was special. You know, Dr. Bush, you dropped some gems. And again, as a parent, again, real talk, uh, I have a 28-year-old, a 19-year-old, and two 11-year-olds. And, I, and every day I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> How could I care and be care about these individuals so much, but I have no idea uh, how to help them. But again, you, you've given me some food for thought and we appreciate it. And uh, Tim, like, as we always do, we want to make sure that the people know not just where to find us on all our socials uh, at understandthechoices.com, at understandthechoices Instagram, at understandthechoices Facebook group. But please reach out to us at info at understanding the choices, because again, we want to make sure that everyone has a great and amazing successful school year. And the best way you can do that is gathering information and supporting your kids. So uh, we will see you very, very soon. If not next week, then the week after. All right, we're out.